Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We were able to determine that China has a high-altitude balloon program for intelligence collection. There is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I can't say whether that's strange or not, since we're sort of in uncharted territory here, uh, no pun intended. I think it's about time that we start talking about Social Security and making it better. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's... Well, we, we really, really don't know what it is, what any of the three objects that the U.S. shot out of the sky this weekend were. But lawmakers are looking for answers. And in just a minute, we'll be speaking with Congressman Dusty Johnson, a member of the Congressional Task Force looking into China. Plus, later, we're going to be chatting with Congressman Jim Jordan, the man at the center of the Republicans' investigations into the Biden administration. I'm Emily Wilkins, filling in today for Joe Matthew. Joining us now is Congressman Dusty Johnson. He is a Republican from South Dakota. Congressman, thanks so much for taking the time and being on with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, Congressman, you've been assigned to a couple really, really interesting roles this year. I want to start with the one, and I think the formal title is that you are a member of the House Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. Congressman, have you guys come up with a with a snappy nickname for that or some sort of acronym we, we can use for the, the China Task Force? Well, nothing cute, but people are mostly calling it the Select Committee on China. I think the reason the name is a mouthful is because leadership in both parties wants to make it clear that it's not the Chinese people that is a source of our concern. It's the Chinese Communist Party specifically. Absolutely. And I know, of course, that follows um, some an increase in attacks on Asian Americans. And, and I know that uh, leadership for both parties has been very diligent about that. But I want to get into exactly what the select committee will be doing this year. And I'll begin just sort of by, of course, the news from this weekend that after uh, the balloon traveled, the surveillance balloon traveled across the country and really raised a lot of concern. You've now heard reports this weekend of the U.S. having to shoot down three objects uh, in U.S. and Canada. Canada airspace. And I'm wondering from your perspective, what are you looking to find out here? What are kind of the big questions that need to be answered at this point? Well, the two big ones are uh, what and who 
suppose uh, why would would follow shortly thereafter, but we still don't have a very good idea of exactly what these objects are. Now, I got a classified briefing last week about the Chinese balloon, so I can't talk a lot about that. But most members of Congress have not received a classified briefing on exactly what these uh, three more recent objects, not balloons, but objects were. Once we figure out what in the world they are, we got to figure out who's behind them. And uh, I do think their motivation matters. Are they trying to probe our defenses? And is this the kind of traffic that's always been there and we're just doing a better job of, of catching it now? Or is this a new and perhaps more nefarious stage in the relationship between us and, and whoever's sending them? So this could potentially almost be a, a false alarm. I mean, as far as that, that these three objects aren't necessarily like the, the, the surveillance balloon that from the week before. I think unless we have reason to believe otherwise, we've got to take the statements from the administration on their face value. We have a representative from the Department of Defense that said they are choosing to use the word object rather than balloon for a reason. And uh, But listen, certainly the question you're raising is part of the reason why I think lots of members of Congress are uh, getting increasingly frustrated that we haven't been briefed yet. How has the Biden administration been at this point as far as sharing information, talking with lawmakers? I mean, obviously, you and your colleagues in the House are all back home in your districts this week, so it's not possible to get you into one of those secure rooms for a briefing. But other than that, has the Biden administration been forthcoming with the information that they can share? It has varied a little bit uh, topic to topic. I would tell you that the briefings we have received on what's going on in Ukraine, which have been, there have been quite a number of them, have been good and quite granular. Um, there have been other briefings where I think uh, more questions were raised than answers. But I understand when you're briefing, you know, as many as 535 members of Congress in a day or two, uh, I, I think if you're the administration, you'd also need to be careful about how you provide information. And, and how much gets out there. It is a classified setting, but it's not like you're dealing with career professionals who uh, have the same understanding of how to handle that information. Obviously, the, the Select Committee on China, it's going to encompass more than these objects this past weekend. What else will you be focusing on in the next two years on this particular committee? I actually think the balloon balloons will be a very small piece of it. Even if you were only going to look at the way that the Chinese Communist Party surveils Americans, the balloons would be a very small piece of it. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at, uh, frankly, technology. We're going to be looking at the economic relationship between the Chinese Communist Party and our country. Uh, that is one thing, by the way, Emily, that makes this more difficult than whatever we did during the Cold War with the Soviet Union. I mean, the Soviet Union was a one-dimensional threat. It was a military threat. Was not, uh, we did not ever need to ask ourselves how do we decouple in an effective and targeted and smart way from the economy of the Soviet Union. We simply didn't have those kinds of connections. Mm. Uh, I have a particular interest, though, in, in food. I think food security is national security. And I think to an alarming degree, we have allowed the Chinese Communist Party to gain a lot of influence over the global food uh, supply. That's problematic. Uh, the Chinese have made a lot of these uh, steps in a purposeful and deliberate way. I think they know having control over food gives them a disproportionate amount of influence across the globe. 
uh, probably in the same way that Russia understands their energy supplies gives them a disproportionate amount of influence across the globe. Interesting. Interesting. I know that, of course, in addition to sitting on the select committee, you are also a member of the agricultural committee. Uh, But I want to ask you instead of about food, because you're heading up a very interesting subcommittee focused on commodity markets and digital assets. And as part of chairing that subcommittee, you have a mission to uh, and I'm quoting directly off of off of y'all's website, but bring robust oversight and retail consumer protections to digital commodity markets. Can you talk a little bit more about this subcommittee and about what you specifically want to do in terms of legislation as well as oversight? Yeah, and maybe first, uh, people might be wondering, why is the Committee on Agriculture have a role in cryptocurrency? Isn't this financial services? And the reality is that the way that most people buy and sell digital assets, cryptocurrency, looks and feels a lot more like how they would buy and sell gold or how they would buy and sell agricultural commodities. It's not that they're taking a that they're purchasing a security. I mean, buying an ounce of gold doesn't give you a stake in any business. Mm-hmm. You're purchasing something that's a holder of value, a commodity, and in that way, it's the Commodity Future Trading Commission and not the Securities and Exchange Commission that plays the regulatory oversight. Particularly when you're talking about exchanges or derivatives, swaps, futures. These are all things that the Committee on Agriculture has overseen for a long time. And it is an area that we, uh, digital assets, that we need to, I think, as a country, step up our game. And we need to be willing to do it together, the Committee on Financial Services and the Committee on Agriculture, the Securities and Exchange Commission, along with the CFTC, uh, stepping up. Because clearly, in in the aftermath of the the FTX debacle, anyone who thinks our regulatory regime is just fine as it is, is not paying attention. And so what can be done then? I mean, are you looking at crafting particular legislation to prevent something like FTX to occurring? And and how could such legislation work? Well, a lot of the existing frameworks uh, would work pretty well if we just made sure that we if we applied them uh, also to the digital space. Right. I mean, we we know how to regulate uh, exchanges, uh, derivatives, swaps. The one thing we don't have the same regulatory regime over is the spot market. So if you go out and you just buy a hundred head of cattle, there's not some big federal regulator that is overseeing that. And that is in part because you have your collateral right there. You paid money, you or an agent of yours has physical possession of the cattle. So it's a lot harder to swindle people in that way. And to the extent that you need regulation in that space, it's really best done by your state attorney general or your local prosecutor. The digital asset space is very different, and I think that's why a number of us are asking, is there a role to have some spot market regulation in place for digital assets that we do not currently have for uh, you know, precious metals or, or commodities? And we'll definitely be interested in, in continuing to follow that as you guys start to. I, I know committees have just gotten set up. So as you continue forward with that, um, Congressman, you are also the chair of the Main Street Caucus. You have uh, billed that to me before as sort of the pragmatic conservatives, the folks who want to get stuff done. I believe you're also a member of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. Given that you have sort of these ties, these two groups, can you talk about what conversations are going on in both of those areas in regards to the debt limit? Is there any clarity that is forming about how to actually cut federal spending in a way that all of the Republicans can support? 
Yeah, I think we're still relatively early on as far as coming, uh, you know, trying to get all 222 Republicans on one page. But I'll tell you, at least among the pragmatic conservatives, the 75 members of the Main Street Caucus that I had, there is um, unanimity among three issues. Number one, um, we, we can't just have a blind debt ceiling increase. We're $32 trillion in debt, and the last eight major fiscal controls that our country has been able to put in place have come about because of debt ceiling negotiations. We need to use this uh, opportunity to have a national conversation about what are we doing with regard to spending. Um, So number one, no blind debt ceiling increase. But number two, we do need some financial controls. And we're open to what that looks like. Some people will talk about, you know, could we get non-defense discretionary just back to what it was before COVID? Some will say, could we just get it back to FY22? That doesn't seem so draconian. Uh, Could we get non-defense discretionary back to just what it was six weeks ago? And I know there are a lot of people out there who want to paint the Republicans as some sort of terrible and and draconian, uh, you know, budget cutters. But the reality is we can do some really important things in financial responsibility without uh, doing anything that's going to wreck, you know, systemic harm. Um, And then number three, there's unanimity over the idea that we're not going to touch benefits to people who are getting Social Security or Medicare uh, today or, or, or who are going to be receiving those benefits anytime in the near future. And I actually wanted to dig into that really quick. I mean, I know that Republicans have said time and time and time and time again that you're not cutting Medicare, you're not cutting Social Security, but these programs are facing insolvency within the next decade plus. And so is this a good time for Republicans and Democrats to maybe set up a commission, set up a panel, set up something where they can at least sit down and say, hey, if we don't start moving toward a solution now, Americans are going to eventually miss out on their full payments from these programs? I think that's well said, and I think that's what's so incredibly disappointing and, frankly, irresponsible about Joe Biden using his constitutional platform of the State of the Union address to mock and attack and uh, Republicans and, frankly, mislead Americans about what the overwhelming majority of Republicans want to do with regard to these programs, which is protect them, which is to make the changes necessary to keep them solvent. I mean, the president should want that, too. One of these programs goes insolvent in 2028 and the other in 2034. Choosing to do nothing guarantees insolvency. And and so the idea that we can, you know, take to primetime television and mock anyone who's trying to have a conversation about, uh, you know, reforms is really, really not helpful and productive. Uh, but there are a number of things that we can do, and, and we don't need to touch benefits to people who are getting those programs today. But I think we can have a longer-term conversation about, uh, you know, how do we, in an actuarial way, long-term, for young people, say people my age, 46 years old and younger, what can we do to make sure that they can, they can receive the benefits of those programs? For sure. So maybe start the discussions, even though there's nothing specific. Well, Congressman Dusty Johnson, thank you again so much for taking the time for joining us today. Really appreciate your perspective on so many different issues. Want to go ahead now and bring in our panel for today, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shianzano, a Democratic analyst and professor of political science at Iona University, and John Hart, Republican strategist and co-founder of C3 Solutions. Uh, We only have a couple minutes. Uh, So Jeannie, I want to come to you really 
really quick here because I do want to dig into a little bit of this debate on entitlements. I mean, you've seen Biden out there. He's pointing out Rick Scott's plan about sunsetting federal programs like Social Security and Medicare. Uh, House Republicans have proposed raising the retirement age. And yet McCarthy has promised to not cut Social Security and Medicare. What what is sort of the overall message right now that most Americans are getting from the fact that you're kind of seeing these plans that talk about cuts, but then hearing Republicans say no cuts? You know, I think there's going to be some sort of confusion out there at this point. And, and, you know, the president has mostly pointed to Rick Scott, but they've also lately been, as you know, talking about Ron Johnson, talking about Mike Lee, talking about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. They have been pulling out quotes from people who have talked about addressing this by cuts, um, making it discretionary, those kinds of things. So I think that that message, you know, is starting to push through. And so Republicans have a task at hand if they want to try to get on the side with Mitch McConnell of saying that is off the table or, or or Kevin McCarthy for that matter. So I think there is some confusion there following the State of the Union and the push from the Democrats in the White House, quite frankly, on this issue. And I think Republicans are really going to have to address it. That said, there's an important conversation to be had about these issues as well as it concerns spending. And you definitely heard Dusty Johnson there say that they would be open and willing to that conversation. Uh, John, I know you've got some stuff to weigh in on, too. Uh, We'll definitely make sure to loop back when we come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about U.S.-China relations and what this weekend means for them. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
We are back on Sound On. I'm Emily Wilkins filling in for Joe today. We want to bring back our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shianzano, as well as John Hart, Republican strategist and co-founder of C3 Solutions. Uh, we just spoke with Congressman Dusty Johnson, uh, covered a wide range of topics, and did ask him a little bit about potential entitlement reform. Republicans and Democrats have said they do not want to cut Social Security or Medicare as part of debt limit talks. Uh, But Congressman Johnson, and certainly he's not the only one who says this, has said he's open to perhaps beginning uh, some sort of panel or committee to just begin discussions about how to keep Social Security and Medicare solvent uh, past uh, the end of this decade and and beyond. And John, I want to chat with you a little bit about how these discussions might actually start. I mean, we know that this is a problem. We know that these programs in the future are going to become insolvent, and we know that Congress will eventually need to move on them. Could we see something like that happen with the debt limit, or is Social Security and Medicare just too toxic of an issue at this at this time to even begin the discussion? Well, Emily, look, I think we have to, and I think you did a good job of, of drawing out the the intellectual honesty that needs to happen in this in this conversation. Uh, my former boss, late Senator Tom Coburn, was a part of the Simpson-Bowles Commission back in 2010. And what Congress said then is still true today. And, and the conclusion of the commission was, if we don't act, the demographic changes in the country are going to bring programs like Social Security to their knees. Uh, Joe Lieberman, who is Al Gore's running mate, you know, he said at the time that, that we can't uh, uh, save Medicare as we know it. We can only save Medicare if we change it. Mm-hmm. So uh, members know the reality that the, the, the cruel and uncompassionate response here is to do nothing and pretend that these problems will fix themselves. So President Biden, I think, uh, made a major step backwards in the State of the Union. He pledged to be a unity president, but used really divisive uh, uh you know, demagogic language in his speech when he accused Republicans of wanting to sunset and cut Social Security, and he misconstrued, you know, you know, policy positions, and and he was playing the political game that that Democrats have played for decades, and and that's gotten to us to a position where these programs are facing bankruptcy, and the people that will suffer the most are lower income Americans. So, you know, I do think there's there's a, a deep and broad bipartisan understanding of the nature of the challenge. And I think what has to happen is Republicans have to put forward their vision of what fixes could be and call out Biden's demagoguery. And then on the left, you have to have members who, like Joe Lieberman back in, you know, not only 10 years ago, who are willing to say, look, we have to reform these programs if we want to save them and protect these benefits. Absolutely. And I mean, it seems like there is an acknowledgement of that on both sides. It's just a matter of is that does that actually become a part of the debt limit debate when all is said and all is done? Uh, and I think that's just something we're, we're going to have to wait for. It definitely seems after talking with Congressman Johnson that there is some motivation for that to happen. I also want to talk a little bit about everything that we've seen, just going back with the tensions in China. Obviously, we still don't know the full details of the three objects that were shot down over the weekend, uh, where they came from, exactly what they are. Um, But I wanted to talk a little bit, just get into what we were hearing today uh, from John Kirby when it relates to what we know and where things stand with these objects. We were able to determine that China has a high-altitude balloon program for intelligence collection 
that's connected to the People's Liberation Army. It was operating during the previous administration, but they did not detect it. We detected it. We tracked it. And we have been carefully studying it to learn as much as we can. We know that these PRC surveillance balloons have crossed over dozens of countries on multiple continents around the world, including some of our closest allies and partners. So that's some really interesting uh, intel there from John Kirby speaking to reporters today. Um, Jeannie, I want to ask you a little bit about kind of what next steps are there here? Uh, U.S. senators are set to receive a briefing tomorrow on the objects that were shot down over the weekend. What at this point could we learn from such a hearing? You know, I, I'm not sure what we're going to learn. I think that's the big question. But what I would like to see happen is I would like the president to come out and speak to this issue. There are risks associated with that. I understand that. But the reality is, in the last three days, we have seen, for the first time, fighter jets over U.S.-Canadian territory shooting down objects out of the sky. We've heard conflicting messages from the NSC, from the Pentagon, to a certain extent, even suggestions of UFOs. And with that vacuum has become this ability of people, not surprisingly, or this you know tendency to fill in those blanks. And I think it it is time for the president to come out and, you know, keeping in mind he can't say some things given national security, but to tell us what is going on. If this is a case that they have used filters and other things to detect these in a way that they we didn't before, but they were there, tell us that or at least give us some assurance because at this point the questions have amounted and we have very little information and I appreciate Kirby coming out today but we have little information to understand why all of a sudden you have fighter jets over our territory shooting things down by the way after we were told they shouldn't be doing that over land and it could be dangerous in terms of debris. Yeah, it certainly seems like this is not something that is going away at any time soon. Uh, John, we're also getting news uh, that the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, is considering a meeting uh, with his counterpart, top Chinese diplomat Wang Yi, at the Munich Security Conference. What does that tell you about the U.S.-China relationship that these two diplomats are already talking about meeting up, even as all of these questions about these objects are still lingering? Well, look, I think there is a, there's a troubling lack of information right now, and I think it's, it's an encouraging sign that we're willing to engage and hopefully get some answers out of the Chinese. Uh, hopefully, Blinken will use that meeting to pressure China uh, into into revealing more uh, detail and context about what happened with the balloon, and perhaps that will shed light on these other incidents. But again, to Jeannie's point, there's a lot we don't know. Uh, I think it, President Biden has to measure very carefully uh, what we know and don't know and not overshare uh, based on uh, what we, we were discovering about this. Uh, it's What's concerning is we could have countries, whether it's China, Russia, other, other countries that have not really been openly discussed, probing our defenses and, and not sending objects to gather intelligence, but using those encounters to measure our response. Uh, so I think we have to be careful. And, and I, I'm concerned that the public debate about it is it could be provoking Biden into overreacting and, and and operating in a political manner when he ought to focus on the national security implications over about what's happening. Again, there's a, there's a lot we don't know, so I think we have to be careful about expecting Biden to share uh, perspectives on things that he just doesn't have the information uh, to share yet. 
Sure. And I, I think that's really underscores the point that we don't yet quite know what these objects are. There are still a lot of questions about where they came from, what was involved. Um, certainly, there seems to be a drive out there to get more answers. But one of the other things that's really come out with this story is just kind of how common it is for other nations to spy on one another, that it's something the U.S. does, that it's something that China does, and that the balloon last week wasn't even the first one, that there were also ones during the Trump administration. And Jeannie, I'm wondering if the sudden focus of the American public on this issue is going to really sort of change some of those dynamics when it comes to sort of how other countries surveil each other. I mean, is this just some sort of fluke where because a balloon got caught on on camera, we're having this discussion now? Or could this actually have some longer term implications? You know, I think it can have longer term implications. We know that the intelligence community, the military has been tasked with looking at these aerial phenomenon, as they call them, and there was over 250 that were found. There was a report to Congress in January, um, 250 since March, half of which have been identified, half of which are still not. Um, And so I do think this could have longer term implications in a variety of perspectives. But I also think it's critically important that the United States and China continue to communicate. One of the really troubling aspects of this balloon story was when we heard that there was difficulty on the U.S. part in terms of getting into contact with their Chinese counterparts early stages of this. And of course, then the trip was called off. The president assured us it won't have much of an impact on relations. Um, You know, heartened to see that Blinken's going to meet with his counterpart. But that communication is critical because the balloon aside, There's an awful lot on the plate for U.S.-China relations from human rights to tariffs to climate change to Russia, Taiwan. The list goes on and on, and they are dramatic. And so as we are now looking at this wider situation, I mean, is there still a sense that the U.S. and China need to continue to work together on certain things? I mean, what are we looking at going back to this potential meeting between Secretary of State Blinken uh, and his Chinese counterpart? What are we actually looking for? Like, does does the whole balloon need to be front and center? Or is this something where we're hoping to actually see about, say, progress on environmental goals or the wider range of both concerns that the U.S. has with China, as well as the areas where they're trying to work together? Yeah, I would say, I think the administration has has a responsibility to tell the public the truth about what they do know. For example, on the environmental front, China is by far the world's largest emitter of CO2 gases right now. And and we're at a point in our political debate where where both sides acknowledge that that CO2 has a role in, in, in climate change and to a large extent, uh, the issue of climate change is an issue about containing China's emissions. And if we want to have an intellectually honest conversation about China-U.S. relations, we have to – the Biden administration has to come clean with, with the American people and explain that CO2 molecules don't ask for a visa when they cross borders. They, you know, The emissions from China, they're putting new coal plants online all the time. They're, they're crossing borders. They're affecting the climate all over the world. And if we want to see – one of the things our organizations put out is a study called Free Economies or Clean Economies. If we want to see a cleaner planet, cleaner environment, we need to be promoting economic freedom both at home and abroad. And uh, China is one of those places that ought to, ought to embrace more economic freedom. So one of the, the front-burner issues you ought to use is, is economic liberalization within China. Uh, and promoting those principles of freedom and human rights within their own, within their own country. 
Well, Jeannie, John, we will be back with you guys in just a minute. But right now, I wanted to welcome Congressman Jim Jordan, a Republican from Ohio, uh, chair of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, really, really sort of central to a lot of the investigations that are going on in Congress right now. Congressman, thank you for joining us today. You bet. Good to be with you today. Thank you. Well, I know the one of the big news from today is that uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy is going to be leading a delegation down to the southern border yeah. this week. Obviously, your committee is very much looking into what's going on with the border, what's going on with the Homeland Security Committee. I wanted to see one of the things that you and a lot of your colleagues have said that you are going to do is investigate Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. What is your anticipated timeline for beginning the proceedings, for having him come in, lay out here what we can expect? Well, I think there, uh, Emily, I think there are three fundamental questions. You know, first of all, how did it happen? How did we get this chaos on the border? Record numbers coming month after month after month. Second question is, why does it matter? And then the third question is, how do we fix it? So how did this happen? It's intentional. And that's why I think there needs to be an investigation of Secretary Mayorkas, because they, they have to be doing this intentionally, deliberately, in a premeditated fashion, because in the committee a couple weeks ago, uh, and we really focused on that second question, why it matters. We had a dad who lost a uh, fentanyl. We heard from a law enforcement officer who for 28, uh, 28 years had been in law enforcement and, and has seen now what this has done to, to property owners, to uh, crime levels, to hospitals, uh, cost of hospitals, school districts, all that. And then, of course, how do we fix it? we got to and Congressman, as you begin to look into this, I, I know that there have been some very high numbers of border crossings, but last month, U.S. Border Patrol actually apprehended the lowest number of migrants in two years, which comes after the Biden administration uh, opened up some new legal pathways to the U.S. and expanded enforcement against those who try and cross without authorization. Is this new development going to factor at all into investigations? Well, we'll look at everything they've done over, over two years. But again, remember, uh, December of last year, I think, was the highest month on record uh, for illegal crossings in a year. We're talking 5 million people. We're talking about 100 and some folks who are on the terrorist watch list. And those are just ones that they've apprehended, let alone the, the, the people who get, a, get, get across the border and, and don't come to a port of entry who aren't caught. So that's, that's how serious it, it is. And never forget, when we had Secretary Mayorkas last year in front of the Judiciary Committee, uh, in the course of that, that hearing, we asked him a, a simple question. At the time, I think it was only 30-some. Now it's 130-some. At the time, it was only 30-some people. We said there are 30-some people who are on the terrorist watch list, who you've encountered on our southern border, illegal migrants coming in. I said, what is the status of those individuals? Where are they at? Where are they detained? And you may remember his answer. He said, I don't know. And, I'm, and, and we were all flabbergasted. We're like, you're the Secretary of Homeland Security. And you don't know the, the status of the people who've been apprehended on you on the border who were on the terrorist watch list. That is that is frightening. So this this, again, just underscores how bad they've mismanaged this uh, situation from the start, which leads you to the I think the logical conclusion. It's on purpose. It's intentional. They're deliberately doing this. And when you're actually looking at this, I mean, 
I, I definitely understand the um, investigation side of what you're doing. But we've also have seen in the past that usually when it comes to border, border, it's a lot of policies. It's a lot of the laws that are passed. It's a lot of what we're doing with immigration, yeah. what we're doing with the border. So is your committee going to be trying to put forward any legislation that really addresses Great. that, both sort of the twofold yeah. as far as how folks can legally get into the country as well as border security? Yeah, a, a great question. We're definitely going to do that. We're, we're going to have in, uh, immigration enforcement legislation that we bring forward. It'll be on, on, on uh, asylum reform. It, it'll be, uh, you know, E-Verify. It'll be on unaccompanied alien uh, uh, children, uh, a host of different issues that we're going to bring forward in different pieces of legislation that we think will fix it. But understand what happened on day one. On day one, January 20th, 2021, Joe Biden announced, he said, we will stop building the wall. We will no longer have the remain in Mexico policy. We, the, the, the idea you had to stay in Mexico while your asylum claim was evaluated. And he said, so we're no, not going to build the wall. No more remain in Mexico and you will not need to be deported. Well, Shazam, no wonder people wanted to come. They know there's no wall to get over. They won't have to wait in Mexico. And when they get here, they're not going to be sent home. In fact, they're going to get to go wherever they want to in the United States. So, of course, that just sent a message to everyone to come to the country and unfortunately, now what's happened is most of our good Border Patrol agents, they're, they're, they're now processors. They're not doing their real job because they, they spend all the time processing these people because Joe Biden sent the message on day one, come to the United States, you'll get in and we won't be deporting you. Can I ask really quickly, because I know I want to go on to your couple of your other investigations, but when would be the timeline as far as that bill actually getting introduced? Well, we, we, many of these bills have already been introduced. We, we plan to pass this legislation within the next six weeks. We, we don't, look, we think time is, is, is important here. Now, whether, whether Chuck Schumer will pass it through the Senate, uh, whether uh, Joe Biden would, would sign it if Chuck Schumer could get it through the Senate, that's a different question, but it's still our job to, to pass the laws to fix the problems that have been created by this administration. When we had the, the, the sheriff in front of our committee two weeks ago, he said in his 28 years in law enforcement, the best the border situation has ever been was two years ago under President Trump. And the worst it's ever been is right now. So that change, that that has all happened in two years. We went from the best to the worst in two years. That tells you everything. I also wanted to ask a little bit. Um, I know that the committee is obviously looking into uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and that he has recently sort of begun pushing against some of the investigations and the probes that the committee has had in the defense that Hunter Biden has put forward. Uh, he says that there's no legislative purpose behind these investigations. Is that accurate? And if not, what legislation do you think could come out of these investigations? Well, there's there's all kinds of reforms we could have for the FBI, all kinds of reforms we could have for the Department of Justice. Here's one reform that I think maybe uh, comes from our investigative work. And I understand, first of all, most of the investigative work on the Hunter Biden uh, issue, I think, is going to happen in the Oversight Committee under Chairman Comer. We are looking at the how it, how it crosses over and gets into the Department of Justice and what impact, with, you know, what, what actions the Department of Justice may have had relative to that investigation that need to be uh, dealt with. But um, one of the things that I think is important is my guess is those 51 former intel officials who signed that letter that we know to be false, that became the sort of the basis for suppressing the Hunter Biden story just days before the most important election we have, election for president of the United States. I've, my guess is those 51, all of them probably have their security clearance. Well, why is that still the case? Why, why, why do people, when they leave government years and years later, still keep their security clearance? 
So that, that could be some simple thing we, we take a look at and a host of other things that we think are important uh, relative to the FBI <coughs> excuse me, and the, and the concentrated power now uh, in the Washington field office and in, in, the, in the headquarters in D.C. versus how it used to be where the field offices ran things and you were much more focused on solving crime and not all this, this focus on intelligence matters. <coughs> and as you're looking into some of these investigations, do you have a sense of how many Americans actually think that it is important to look into, say, Hunter Biden's laptop or some of, of these other things that are kind of within <laughs> Biden's personal family? I mean, I, I know that Americans have an interest in things like what's going on at the border, high prescription drug prices. Uh, but I, I've seen polls that have showed that it doesn't seem like that many Americans are actually really, interested in, in some yeah. of things like Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah, well, look, I think what's going to drive our investigation, what is driving our investigation, are, are what the whistleblowers are coming and telling us. We think that we are targeting very people it's supposed to serve. So I think our investigation is going to be driven by the FBI agents who've taken whistleblower status and come talk to our committee. We've now interviewed two of them in a, in a transcribed interview. Our third one happens later this week. They are telling us things that are not supposed to happen. They're talking about the political nature of the Justice Department the law, and that doesn't seem to be what's happening. We see example after example that you see that. Congressman, uh, I'm so sorry, Congressman. It sounds like we've lost you a little bit. Uh, well, there was Congressman Jim Jordan. Uh, unfortunately, before we lost him, a uh, d- very interesting conversation, just really covering the range of what he is doing as the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, just so many different things that he is looking into there. Want to bring back our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shianzano and John Hart, uh, co-founder of C3 Solutions. I mean, I just wanted to ta- ask uh, you guys and, and Jeannie in particular, I mean, what what is your sense as far as how many Americans are really watching everything with Hunter Biden with bated breath? Is there a sense that this could really wind up shaping that a lot of Americans are going to be paying attention? Um, or is this something where it's just not a priority because it's not a kitchen table issue? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about those polls, Emily. It's really not a kitchen table issue. It's not something that Americans are going to focus on. They will focus on the border. I think that's important. The first issue you talked about. That is important to Americans. We see that in the polls. The latest Pew poll showed you know, concern about defending our, our, our country. Security is number three after health care and the economy. So that is something. But in terms of Hunter Biden's laptop, or if you flip the focus and say this investigation, a lot of talk in the media lately of the money that Jared Kushner and the president received from, say, the Saudi Arabian government, um, you know, that is stuff that I think Americans, they, you know, not all Americans are going to focus on because it doesn't concern them directly. I do think if they were to expand it and talk about ways to have ethics reform or something along those lines that crossed, uh, you know, crossed both parties, it might have more interest. But still, it's not a kitchen table issue that people are going to vote on in the next election. John, I wanted to get your perspective on this, too. I mean, if you see the Judiciary Committee, as well as some of these other committees like Oversight, really focus on these topics that could be directly related to Biden and detrimental to him, could that have an impact on Biden should he decide to run in 2024? Well, it could. But, you know, frankly, I'm skeptical. I think, you know, as your your question pointed out accurately, is that these are not front burner issues. And what people are focused on right now is inflation, the cost of food, the cost of gas. I think I think energy policy is a, is a much more potent issue to talk about. 
where the GOP, I think, has a has a comparative advantage in terms of actual solutions and policy. Uh, the issues of the, of the debt limit we touched on before, uh, those are the issues that I think are going to drive people uh, into the Republican camp. And border security as well. I mean, I think the, the border and immigration is an open wound in American politics, and I think it's a festering wound. And I think the sooner uh, people, are, people of good faith on both sides come together and realize we've got to have a coherent immigration policy, I think that'll be a, a tremendously helpful thing for our country long term. And John, I did want to ask you more about immigration, because you're right, that is an issue that a lot of Americans tend to care about. Um, certainly plenty of folks who, who do feel like they are directly impacted by it. I mean, when it comes to addressing some of these issues that we've seen, both at the border as well as with just the process to legally immigrate to the United States, is that something that, uh, you know, getting rid of Alejandro Mayorkas is going to fix? Or is this something that's going to actually require sort of a, a deeper dive into the nuts and bolts of our immigration system? Well, look, I, I'm frankly pretty sympathetic to Jim Jordan's concerns with my orchestra. I think, I think he's, not, uh, he's not the finest government official we have. Uh, so I do, think, I do think changing personnel can have a big impact on policy. You know, the old, the old statement that personnel is policy is there's a lot of truth in that. But, but there are deeper systemic issues happening within immigration, and, and, and they've been in place for a long time, where Look, my, you know, my former boss, Coburn, you know, strong on border security, uh, but he was in the Senate during a lot of the so-called gangs that were coming together trying to come up with an immigration reform plan that was extremely uh, difficult to do. Uh, and in fact, the mishandling of immigration by the Bush administration is one reason why we saw the rise of Trump with the GOP. So I, I think Reagan had it right when he talked about the shining city on a hill and that, that the city had walls. But it had doors that were open with people with the will and heart to come here legally. And, and that is, it's not, it's not rocket science to strike that balance between law and order and compassion and being a, recognizing that we're a nation of immigrants. Uh, but those voices have to be more assertive in the debate. Uh, but Democrats, there are too many Democrats that capitalize on the politics of division within immigration. And they could do a lot to reach across the aisle and empower people who, yes, prioritize border security, but also understand that we have to have a legal system that gives us, addresses the labor shortages we have all over the, all over the, the economy, particularly in agriculture, uh, where there's, there's a very nuanced, complicated debate within the GOP about how do we make sure we meet labor shortages and lower food prices, by the way, by mm-hmm. having enough people working in those sectors to, to benefit the entire economy. And, and those are solutions that are out there, but it requires people to have the political courage to, to stick their neck out and tackle those issues. Jeannie, 10 seconds, one through 10. How likely is it we're not gonna see any immigration legislation this Congress? Zero. Emily, zero. zero. <laughs> well, there, I mean, it, it would just be very similar, unfortunately, to some of the other Congresses that we've seen. Well, when we come back, we're going to be discussing the nuances of the balloons. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. 
With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Emily Wilkins in today for Joe Matthew. Oh, Bloomberg Sound On is brought to you by Innovation Refunds. This is your daily reminder from Innovation Refunds to see if your small to medium-sized business qualifies for a payroll tax refund. If your business was impacted by the pandemic, this is your opportunity to take control of your business's future. Learn more at getrefunds.com. Well, we are poised to learn more eventually about what the three objects uh, in U.S. and Canada airspace over the weekend were. But while they are being called objects, while we have limited information, perhaps it was at least somewhat inevitable that someone would start asking about aliens. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre had to field a question about that today. I know there have been questions and, and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Again, there is no indication of aliens or terrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Wanted to make sure that the American people knew that, all of you knew that, uh, and it was important for us to say that from here because we've been hearing a lot about it. You think that would be the end of it? But no, you'd be wrong. A reporter then asked National Security Council John Kirby about it. Uh, The top officials of the Pentagon, when asked explicitly if uh, they were ruling out any kind of extraterrestrial presence, said they weren't ruling anything out. And yet at the beginning of today's briefing, albeit with her usual winning smile, uh, Ms. Jean-Pierre seemed to rule out any extraterrestrial activity. I don't Um, think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft, period. I don't think there's any more that needs to be said there. Not ruling anything out. Also, we don't need to worry, which, look, I'm just saying, I've seen the movies with the alien invasions. It always seems to begin with someone official telling you that you don't need to worry. Uh, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shianzano, as well as John Hart, uh, co-founder of C3 Solutions. Uh, Jeannie, how how worried are you at this point about an alien invasion? 
I'm trying not to be worried, Emily. I have to give your fellow reporters, the one who shouted from the back of the room, the truth is out there, Kareen, props for being very, very funny and a good reference there to E.T. But, you know, part of this is because they say things like, I don't think you need to be worried. John Kirby, say we don't need to be worried. Don't say you don't think we need to be worried. That's what I would like to hear. I mean, John, how uh, do you do you think that this kind of just funnels into the idea that because the Biden administration hasn't told us very much yet, that we are now in a position that we are talking about aliens? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm terrified, Emily. I've got to confess. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, you know, the, it, what's one thing that's funny about this is we're, we're far more likely to find, quote, the truth about extraterrestrial life through the James Webb Space Telescope than we are through this balloon incident. So we're, we're going to be able to look at the, the, the visual signatures of exoplanets and, and have a, a good guess as to their chemical composition. That's going to give us far more insight into whether there's life outside our solar system than what we're, hap- what we're seeing right now with these, with these balloon incidents. So no, I'm, not, I'm not particularly worried about it. So, so you want to believe? You just don't think the things in the believe. sky this weekend. I, just, I don't think it's, I don't think I don't think we're going to learn anything based on uh, based on these briefings that are going to come. They they are out there, maybe, but at least they they maybe. were not they were not here visiting. <laughs> they didn't they didn't come for the Super Bowl, which you know. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are, are uh, Eagles or Chiefs game, fans, yeah. but uh, definitely, it, yeah, it, it was a bit of a heartbreaker for the Eagles out there. Um, maybe maybe they'll come back for uh, for for a, a more intense Super Bowl. Um, and I guess, of yeah. course, the other thing here is that you know is is part of what we're seeing right now. And I know we only have a, a few seconds left, but as part of what we're seeing, uh, Jeannie, just because we're on such high alert right now that everything seems to be suspicious. Yes, and I want to ask John if the Webb Telescope can tell us that. Why can't they tell us what these three objects are, Emily? Please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Jeannie Shianzano, John Hart. Thank you guys so much for being with us, as well as Congressman Dusty Johnson and Jim Jordan. I'm Emily Wilkins, and for Joe Matthew, this is Sound On, and this is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.